This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it <clears throat> a real POS? You need Shopify for retail. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify POS has everything you need to sell in person. Go to shopify.com slash system, all lowercase, to take your retail business to the next level today. That's shopify.com slash system. Someone on your behalf could, and then the claims administrator, you would have to get administrator of the state mm. to be able to make sure they have the legal standing to do so. Uh, really quickly, I'm going to put you on the spot here. If you were going to guess how much each user roughly you think will end up with, what would you guess? Well, some outlets said $5. I think it might be a little less. Oh, all right. Well, I was but the attorneys will have about $181 million. Yeah, I mean, that's the thing. Win. It's maddening, right? <laughs> Is the attorneys are going to get a huge amount and individuals are going to walk away with five bucks. That's a different segment. Katie Smith, thank you so much. We are out of time. Banfield starts. everybody and welcome to Banfield. It is Monday and it's great to have you here. Um, I always love an August sky hmm, because I'm from Canada and we get a lot of northern lights and shooting stars. But what I haven't seen a lot of is UFOs or maybe some of those shooting stars are UFOs and I just didn't know it. But I'm going to tell you something. There is a pilot who is reporting fire in the sky uh, from his cockpit, and he has the video to prove it. And he has sent it to another expert in the field saying, I was on a flight from Santa Domingo, Dominican Republic, to New York, and I saw this. And it was so bizarre. I started shooting, and I shot for two and a half hours. So he's not the only one who saw it. And with all of this activity lately about UFOs, it's high time that not only the congressional hearings start getting all of this material, but we start hearing a lot more about what are all of these pilots seeing. We've got experts lined up for you today to tell us what these images were 32,000 feet up in the sky, kind of over the New York waters, like, the, you know, the, the waters off of New York. Um, and also, is, is it something that we should be concerned about? Ever since the congressional hearings... Apparently, the experts who testified have had people coming out of the woodwork to them. So we're going to talk about that tonight. Then also, the Long Island serial killer suspect, Rex Heuerman. You know, we've been waiting for a lot more details to drop on that case. And as we've been waiting, we've also been wondering quietly, what do you think he's doing in his cell? Because... You don't just go from like being in your late 50s and having a life full of freedom. And if he is the killer, murdering at will without anybody ever, you know, finding out about it to being stuck in a little tiny box, isolated with nothing, with the prospect of spending the rest of your life in that little box. So we have some details about what he's been doing in his little box. And we have some details about what he's been buying. And we have details about who has seen him and who has not seen him. And... We also have this little detail. You ready? You ready? You ready? He found Jesus. <laughs> you right? I swear if I had a dime in this job every single time that an inmate uh, found Jesus, I'd have probably retired probably half this job ago. Uh, they all find Jesus. This is boring sitting in prison and you get an opportunity to go to chapel. Uh, that's like a field trip. So anyway, we're going to talk a little bit about uh, Rex Heuerman and what he's been up to. 
Also, Hell on Wheels. You've probably heard that in a song lyric. You've probably said it. It's a great axiom for us all, right? But it's also something that a judge actually decided to use when sentencing a kid. And I say kid because when she committed her horrendous crime, she was 17. That's a kid. Two years later now, she's 19, charged as an adult with murdering two people. The tears are, you know, to be expected when you're facing life in prison and the judge is calling you hell on wheels. So that young lady in Ohio uh, took her car up to 100 miles an hour into a wall because she wanted to kill her boyfriend and his friend was in the back seat. I don't know how she didn't die. I mean, look at this video. I do not know how she didn't die, but she didn't. And tonight I'm going to show you some of the things she did after this. Because those are the things the judge saw and they factored into her sentence. And you're going to hear how long she is going to spend behind bars before she even gets a peep before the parole board. Let's just say she's not going to look like that. All right, let's start. Summer of UFOs. Am I crazy? Don't answer that. Don't even put that on the internets. (laughs) I know how this works. Uh, But I really feel like uh, lately it's just been the summer of UFOs. So much reporting, really legitimate stuff too, like very legitimate reporters, uh, people who've worked in the Navy for years, decorated veterans coming forward with evidence, congressional hearings on UFOs, and then scads and scads and scads of documentation and pictures and video like you're seeing on your screen right now. So this is the most recent one. Let me give you a little, um, basically a, a, a taster of what, what it is you're seeing. Because even I am not the expert here. I've got experts lined up that you're going to hear from in a minute who are going to do play-by-play. So this is a mysterious object. Um, The pilot on board this commercial flight was coming from the Dominican Republic to New York, and he spotted this at 32,000 feet. And this light show, like, went on for two and a half hours. He was about an hour into his flight. So he brings up his uh, Samsung uh, S23. And all you geeks out there know, apparently, this is the one with the best camera. I didn't know. But it's got a good camera. So he's taking pictures like you're seeing right now. And they're like blinking lights, but they're also darting and shooting and reflecting and going like fuzzy. It's weird. And he thinks it's weird. Um, And he's not the only person either. It's about 80 miles off the shore of New York. And this is the official name of it. It's called the Southern Boundary of the New York Oceanic Airspace. For all my geek friends out there. I know you'll appreciate that. Um, Ever since... This uh, testimony on, on Capitol Hill, uh, Ryan Graves, who's a former Navy pilot who testified, said that he has had people like this pilot um, reach out to him. There he is right there, Graves. He said they, they have been sending him videos and uh, pictures of things that they've come across while out in the sky. And so Ryan Graves has posted this newest one from this commercial pilot. He's taken the audio off it so that the privacy of the pilot is, is respected. But what's curious is like what this actually shows, because, I mean, I look at some blinking lights and I think, well, maybe it's just a reflection or maybe it's, you know, one of those satellites out there doing kooky things or maybe it's something burning up in the atmosphere because I'm a super skeptic. That's what I have to be in my job. 
but there are two people who know way more about this because they've kind of made it their life's work. So let me bring in Ben Hansen. He's a former federal agent. Um, he's the host of Discovery Plus's UFO Witness. And then also with us tonight is Nick Pope, who is one of the world's leading experts on UFOs and the unexplained. He spent years investigating UFOs for the British government. Okay, Ben, I'm going to begin with you. Because I'm a neophyte in the UFO business and I see blinky lights, um, it's a seven-minute video. And I should tell our viewers that we truncated all the non-action out of it. So we sort of spliced all the action together in the very black video and we slowed it down so it was a little bit more visible. But uh, if we can show it, uh, can you do your best to do play-by-play for me and explain what your very educated eyes see in the video that we're seeing? Yeah, sure. So uh, I did see that that Ryan had posted this, I think, earlier last week. And what's really cool about it is that we pilots finally... Um, you know, making these reports because in the first place, we've talked about the stigma a lot and how they just are so hesitant to come forward. The hearings have taken place. And so now they're actually bringing their camera out uh, into the cockpit and, and anything unusual starting to film. This object, I can see why a lot of people um, would, would think this is really strange. And I think that it's noteworthy because it seems to brighten and dim uh, really intensively. Right. And all the other objects that we're familiar with and pilots especially would be things like other air traffic. Remember, when they're in airspace, the the air traffic controller should be telling them anything that's up to 60,000 feet. Yet I'm assuming that if they called this in and in their own, uh, you know, onboard uh, radar, the TCAP and everything that they have, they're not seeing any traffic. So you can pretty much eliminate commercial air traffic. We can go down the list. You know, what else could it be? Well, this this lot um, being seen for over two hours, that's important information. You know, so those are the types of things we're looking at. We're trying to, you know, evaluate what it might be. It also moved very quickly, Ben, as he reported this this commercial pilot. We Again, we've slowed it down. The, and the speed was, you know, many multiples of the speed of, of um, sound. So what did that tell you? So the speed is really important, too. And, and what I really love when... Um, anybody, pilots included, they can include reference points. It's really hard to to film from inside of a cockpit and hold it steady. But if we can get some other star or or something, a horizon in there, and we can start to get an idea. It's really hard to judge how far away it is, but if we have some idea of size, we can tell how fast this thing's moving. Now, satellites, for example, anything in orbit would move about 17,500 miles an hour. Right. And a lot of these pilots are reporting things that are up at altitude. So if it's making maneuvers, if it's changing direction and we can prove that, that is intense. That's a lot of G forces pulling on that craft. Conventionally, uh, we just can't do at this point. So, Nick, another commercial pilot um, allegedly saw this as well. So that's not just one person who might be, um, you know, a fake or a scam. These are now two unrelated people reporting the same event. And that has to be critical for investigators, too. Look, you're, this is you. You're the world's leading expert on UFOs and the unexplained. You spent years investigating for the British government. What would you have done with this? Uh, put on your government hat. Well, firstly, interview the witnesses, then pull the radar tapes, see what's been tracked, then get the satellite 
data and, and then uh, really launch a full investigation. I mean, this is, you know, pilots are not infallible, but they are right up the top of the tree when it comes to uh, credibility. These people know what they see in the sky. They, they fly, you know, obviously thousands of hours. They're, they're used to seeing everything. Uh, when they say, see something important enough that, that, that they say, this is like nothing I've ever seen before, and they whip out a cell phone, uh, we need to sit up and pay attention, and this needs to go to Congress. I, I mean, you know, we've had the hearings, but there still are questions about how the civil and the military pilots report this and, and how, what the process is that things don't fall between the cracks. Ben, weigh in if you can about the video, um, partially into the video, about midway through, the pilot, and I'll get the control room to roll this particular video, the pilot pans down with his phone so that you can see he's actually in the cockpit. And he shows the control panel um, in his cockpit and then pans back up to what we're, we're seeing. But for me, let me just want to make sure I want to get that video up. But for me, that really legitimizes it. There it is. There is, you know, there's everything we need to know from an investigative standpoint about his altitude and everything else. But it also shows that he really was in a, in a cockpit. It wasn't sort of, you know, spliced together. Is this gold for someone like you, Ben, to see this kind of part of the video? I, I love it. And that's why I'm a little biased. I'm a pilot myself. But this is the way you know, that we think, right? Very detail-oriented. And the fact that he takes a screenshot and, and pans down there, what we can do is we can pull off that information from primary flight display and and also the TAS, and I can find the waypoints and actually plot that on a chart and get a really good idea of exactly where they were and what direction they're facing. And then what we do is uh, all geeky stuff, right? We're going to compare it to um, you know, where the stars were, the weather, any traffic that might have been in that area, and we can really start get down to eliminating the the more plausible explanations. And so, um, I mean, if you're a pilot, if, if you're somebody driving your car, you know, take a picture of your GPS coordinate, where you are, and, and uh, you know what time it is, because that's very, very important. So I, I want to just show some of the photos that he also snapped. Um, and and he's, we've got some circles around them to show what the object is versus what some of the stars are. And this was right around the, the Big Dipper, uh, which is also important when you're seeing the constellations around. But the big red circle in this first photo, uh, you see the one light that's in the center. Hopefully you can see it on your monitors at home. You know, a lot of people wonder if this could be a star, Nick. Um, you know, stars don't necessarily blink unless something occludes the, the light occasionally. Um, but also some people are saying, well, what about Starlink? And Starlink is now sort of being called the new weather balloon. You know, it, they get blamed for everything. That must be Starlink. Well, that could be Starlink. What's your thought about what you're seeing in the circle and Starlink or any of the other possibilities? Well, again, pilots see stars and satellites all the time. So when, when they say that uh, this is something over and above that, I think we all need to sit up and pay attention. But look, you know, this is one of the reasons why in government UFO work, it's very important to consult with astronomers because we can reconstruct a sort of 3D star map and, and figure out and eliminate bright stars and, and planets and see what we're left with. And, uh, you know, 
that's why, again, it's, it's really important that we get all this data, uh, both from the onboard air systems, you know, but also, as I say, from, from the satellites uh, so that we can triangulate and, and we can start to make some detailed calculations. And, you know, intelligence community imagery analysts will be able to weave absolute magic with stuff like this. I mean, you, you and I, we look at this and we say, okay, it's not the Starship Enterprise, but there are people in government, in the military, in the intelligence community who can we work wonders with this and, and they can figure it out and they should be working on it. I hope they are. And so the second picture I want to show you, um, Nick, is uh, looks kind of like a fiery object. Um, some people have said it looks slightly metallic, um, but it's got a tail behind it. Do you see that? I mean, it's, you really have to kind of squint and use your imagination to figure out what exactly that is. But some people had asked if that might just be a light in the cockpit reflecting. But I can imagine a, a pilot has seen plenty of light reflecting in the cockpit, too, as well, Nick. All the time, all the time. And, and so, you know, this, this was not a reflection. But again, there's a whole discipline of intelligence called MAZINT, you know, measurement and signature intelligence. Uh, the, the experts can look at this if, if they've got the right data and they can really figure out what they're looking at. And that will probably be going on behind the scenes. Uh, how much the public and the media get to hear about it, of course, is another question. But that's why we need Congress to keep pushing. Is that familiar to you, though? I mean, I, I know you don't have all your, your instruments and tools and all, all the rest that you would use for that kind of, I can't remember what the acronym was you used, but, but what does that look like to you? Something you've seen before, something familiar, something you could easily say, oh, I had one of those five years ago. What, what is, well, is there something familiar? Yeah. The, the only thing it looks like it might be is a fireball meteorite, but, uh, you know, much more spectacular than not usual sort of shooting star, but quite rare. But again, you know, satellite data and some of the, the um, photographic analysis techniques that we have should be able to eliminate that possibility or confirm it, you know, go where the data take us. Could I so just add, ben, Ashley, that... You know, go yeah, go ahead. I was just going to say, adding to what Nick has said, what's really important is that if not, I mean, Congress is looking into this, but um, this misnomer we've talked about, uh, this I guess, mis, um, uh, understanding that Pro, the new UAP task force, is going to be doing this sort of investigation. They've got a lot on their plate. I think the real problem that, as I've talked to Ryan about, we're getting a flood of these pilots reporting these things, but they have an official place to go and, and make report and have this investigated. So last summer... Uh, Ryan and I were talking because I kind of broke the story that I was calling racetrack UAPs, which I do believe the majority are going to turn out to be these Starlink satellites. But nobody is telling the pilots this. I, what I would do, you know, with Ryan, um, we've been, you know, kind of hearing videos back and forth. We would want to know, for example, this camera, how steady was it? You know, is that could that be a motion blur that's causing that trail? What did the pilots say? Is things that he saw that weren't in the video? That's how we can start to determine whether this is, um, you know, a satellite like Starlink and these new orbits they're making, uh, something truly anonymous. But at the moment, it's all us. It's people like us who are doing it. And it yeah. would be great if we had resources like the government. 
Well, that's a great, that's a, t- a really great point that there should be some really great reporting uh, place for everyone, not just the pilots. But I just want the control room to do one thing before we close this segment. And that is put up the pictures of Starlink and what it looks like, because I learned something today I did not know. I'm actually a Starlink customer, um, but I didn't realize that it looks like a long chain of lights. It almost looks like, a, you know, the, the, the aliens are coming to attack. And so um, if there's one thing, Ben, that you can tell our audience right now, if they're looking up in the sky and they see something like, like this, t- tell them what to look for to know that it's Starlink and okay. not to freak out and, you know, get a, a shield. So I don't know. Phone calls, the emails, but do a little homework first. I have my own brother-in-law. I love him to death, but he was freaking out, okay, this past week because he filmed that exact same thing like minutes after. He's like, who do I call? Who's the UFO guy? Call, call my brother-in-law. And uh, <laughs> those are called Starlink constellations or the trains. When they first launch, they're together for several days and they slowly spread out. So the first thing I tell people, go online and see when the last SpaceX launch was. They put about, you know, 50 to 70 of these out at a time, and they travel together like a string of pearls. It's a really amazing thing to see. But what we were seeing with the pilots, they know about this. It's once they're in orbit that these satellites have a unique angle and, and a flare, we call it, that they can catch light of the sun in just the right place. And they blink and blink out. And it, too, is very strange to see. But, uh, I mean, it's, it's a lot of work to try and figure out what it's like. I love that you just said it looks like a string of pearls because that is going to offset a lot of freak outing, you know, <laughs> freaking out all across the country <laughs> and people calling 911. Uh, great to have both of you, Ben Hansen and Nick Pope. Thank you for this. And I, I dare say it's not going to be the last time we speak. It is still the summer and it is the summer of UFOs. Thanks, guys. Thank you. Thanks, Ashley. So fascinating, especially that Starlink business. I had no idea those pearls in the sky and that they eventually separate. Wow, neat. Okay, so coming up after the break, um, Rex Hewerman, according to the sheriff, is no longer staring at the ceiling. Well, at least not all the time. But what a fascinating concept. What goes through someone's mind when they come in from the outside where they've been free for over half a century and suddenly face the prospect of being locked away for life as the latest serial killer in America? If Rex Hewerman is in fact that serial killer, boy, he's got a lot of contemplating to do. So what's he been up to in his jail cell? We've got the play-by-play on what he's doing, what he's seeing, what he's buying, and who ain't seeing him. That's next. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it a real POS? You need Shopify for retail. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify POS has everything you need to sell in person. Go to shopify.com slash system, all lowercase, to take your retail business to the next level today. That's shopify.com slash system. Said in the first few days, we're starting to learn about what he's been doing in, in jail since the lockup 39 days ago. And they said that in the first few days, he was just sort of lying on his cot, staring straight at the ceiling day after day after day. That's got to be quite a sting, right? All of a sudden, you're into the pokey. If you're innocent, holy dinah. You're in a world of hurt because they're calling you a serial killer all over the press. And if you're guilty, you're thinking, 
Oh, man, I've had like decades of free wheel and killing and dumping with nobody catching me. And now this. That's just my assessment. Um, however, I do have some details on his day to day since he stopped just lying in his cot, staring straight up at the ceiling. The sheriff uh, said that he's in a 10 by six foot cell, shows very little emotion. Uh, initially, he was on suicide watch. That ended August 3rd. He gets a mental and medical eval evaluation every single week. Uh, they physically have him kept away from all other inmates. It's called no contact. Um, they did this because, and this isn't unusual, they said they think other inmates might look to get some street cred by harming him, so they uh, have him on PC or protective custody. Um, he has bought some toiletries from the commissary. He has also bought pen and paper. Who knows? Maybe he's writing someone. Maybe he's writing his family because family has not come to visit. In fact, the only visitors, plural, on the log are lawyer, that's expected, and then this really mysterious one, really weird. One non-family member, one non-family member, I won't say who, but that's not the lawyer, non-family member, but no kids, no wife, nobody from the family has come to see him. So I want to know about sort of the, the mental trajectory of, of what it's like to, to be locked up if you're him. For that, I turn to Catherine Ramsland. Dr. Ramsland is super clever when it comes to this stuff. She's a professor of forensic psychology. She's the author of Confession of a Serial Killer, The Untold Story of Dennis Rader, the BTK Killer. She did lots of interviews with Dennis Rader. So, Dr. Ramsland, um, in the first few days, the sheriff said that... Uh, Rex Herman was staring at the ceiling, but lately he's come out of his shell or his stupor or whatever you want to call it. And he's now attending some uh, religious services. He's checking out books to read from the prison library. Is that the common arc that you would expect? Is this kind of how it works? Like, take me through those first few weeks. Well, I would expect first he would be shocked and want to prove that, think of some way he could prove this is wrong. There's a way to get out, some way to reconnect with his family and his old life. Uh, and then once he's adjusting to it and realizes he's in there for a while, he will return to things that are meaningful to him. Like if he is going to church services, maybe he was doing that before. Um, if he's reading books, he's looking things up. Maybe he's looking at law books for all we know. Um, he's certainly going to be worried about his business. He might be contacting or thinking about contacting people who could run that for him while he's in jail, thinking that maybe he'll get out. I mean, he has a lawyer who is a real strong advocate for him. So there are a lot of things he'd be doing to um, try to ease the passage of this. He's similar to Dennis Rader, who also was arrested at the age of 59, had a family, had a church, uh, was the president of his church organization, and a neighborhood job, he too was completely ripped out of that and had to face the, although he started to confess, but he knows now his life is, is done. He's going to be in prison for life. Is there a moment, and I'm going to reiterate that Rex Hureman is innocent until proven guilty on all of this, but if he is guilty, if he is like Dennis Rader, is there a moment when they actually come to terms and accept, all right, I did it, I'm caught, this is my new world? Or is there sort of a wall in which they cannot accept 
that they have lost everything. Well, in a way, it's odd. I mean, Rader was captured in 2005. He did confess. He did say he was caught. But even today, I mean, I talked to him this week. Even today, he's still thinking about his old life. He misses it. He misses his family. He thinks a lot about the mistakes he made that got him caught. And he still tries to reconnect with the way things were before he went to prison, even though he's been there since 2005. It's it's fascinating. Um, it's shocking. No no family you know has visited him, but maybe maybe it isn't. You know that's a that's a topic for a whole other night. Will you come back and talk to me more? I could listen to you for hours, <laughs> Dr. Ramsland. Thank you for this. Thank you, Dr. Catherine Ramsland. I guess again, her uh, book is Confession of a Serial Killer: The Untold Story of Dennis Rader, the BTK Killer, and she knows that because she talks to him regularly, as you just heard. All right. So coming up after the break, Hell on Wheels. That is what the judge called this now 19-year-old who was 17 when she decided to hit the gas and take her car up to 100 miles an hour straight into a wall. Uh, She said it was an accident, but all the evidence pointed to this being a plan to wipe out her boyfriend, his friend in the backseat, and even her too. Trouble is for her, she survived. And so now she's facing a different kind of pain. And that is what the judge decided should happen to the rest of her life. Wait until you hear this. But not only that, wait until you hear what the father of the boyfriend thinks about the sentence. It's not what you think, folks. It's next. With Kizik Hands Free Shoes, motion sounds something like this. Kizik helps you experience the magic of motion. With over 200 patents and easy on, easy off technology, you'll never have to touch your shoes again. There are hundreds of styles and colors, plus a squish like nothing you've ever felt. For a limited time, get a free pair of socks with your first order at kizik.com socks. Financial compensation may be available. Cases are also being investigated for children diagnosed with Herb's palsy, also known as shoulder dyscosia or brachial plexus injury. If you suspected your child's disability could have been prevented, don't wait. Get a free case evaluation. Call 1-800-645-3615. That's 1-800-645-3615. All right, so... There's a young Ohio girl who is really wishing she wasn't um, a murderer. (laughs) 17 years old, she decides to step on it. That's Mackenzie Shirella getting her her just reward for driving her car at 100 miles an hour into a wall and killing her boyfriend and his friend and not herself. Although that was probably the plan, right? 100 miles an hour. Those are the two victims, Dominic Russo and Davian Flanagan. They were killed in the scene. She survived. But um, the judge in this case, as he was sentencing her, decided that she should get two life sentences for each of these victims, right? But said that they would run concurrently, meaning together, not one after the other. It's consecutive. Uh, but there will be a 15-year minimum before she can even have a peep in front of a parole board and ask for mercy. And that's not necessarily going to happen after killing two people like that with premeditation, with premeditation. I'll tell you why in a minute. 
First, I want you to see the accident itself. And just a warning if you're squeamish, you're not going to see blood, you're not going to see gore, but you will see this car and you will hear uh, the crash. Take a look. That is so unbelievable to me, that 100 mile an hour. I mean, how, anyway, look, the thing is, she said it was an accident, but the prosecutor showed evidence that, quote, the accelerator pedal was being pushed down at 100% capacity. She also scouted out the route a few days before the crash and was trying to get out of this toxic relationship, apparently, that she had. She sobbed through her um, apology today in sentencing, and she called Dominic Rousseau, her boyfriend, her soulmate. Uh, but she didn't show any remorse after the crash before she was arrested. Here is what happened instead. Um, she had photos and videos that the prosecutors showed in court, her attending concerts and making videos with friends in Halloween corpse costumes and making TikToks like the one you're about to see. Take a look. Yeah, so all of this is after she's driven her car at 100 miles an hour into a wall and killed her boyfriend and his friend. She's having all sorts of Casey Anthony-like fun. It's, you know, gross. Uh, She also was on the phone with a modeling agency from the hospital with her mom. Wow. (laughs) The father of the boyfriend, believe it or not, Um, said that she should not spend life in prison, which is mind-blowing to me. Gigi McKelvey, host of Pretty Lies and Alibis podcast, is live with me now. She's one of the smartest people in crime uh, reporting and true crime um, podcasting that I know. Gigi, I'm so glad you're here. Can you help me kind of navigate through this father of the victim, of the boyfriend, saying she shouldn't spend life in prison? Because I look at all that and I think, yeah, she should. Well, I tell you, to find forgiveness in your heart when your your child was killed like that is is just beyond something I think I could do. And it speaks volumes about his character. And maybe he just feels that that adds to the tragedy of it, that this girl at 19 is not going to be free for at least 15 years and likely longer. She's going to be in probably for the rest of her life. So I thought that it was an, an amazing yeah. gesture that he is thinking about her and her well-being and saying that it would be tragic if she were to spend her life behind bars. But, I mean, you know, when you choose to do what she did, the, the punishment's not going to be easy. 34. Um, she'll be 34 years old when she gets her first crack at parole, and we all know how that works. It's not a guarantee, right? Okay, you could be a model inmate, but those family members, they show up, and they get a say. And it's not, you know, just ask the Manson killers. <laughs> that was really tough for all of them, but one. Yeah. But, you know, this is such a fascinating issue that 15 years to life. I'm still curious about 15 years because this was premeditated. They gave plenty of evidence to show this was planned. She scouted. She hit the gas hard. This wasn't, oops, we're drunk and I didn't know. I mean, that's a 
it's bad, but it's not the same as premeditation. I'm a little surprised that that's the guideline and that's what she's going to get. She'll get a crack at freedom in 15 years. Yeah, and that that kind of blew my mind, honestly. I mean, we're we're talking about two young lives that were taken. And not only that, but just a few weeks before, she had actually threatened to crash the car with him. And he was so scared that he called his mom to come pick him up. And then a friend who actually heard her threaten to crash the car with him in it. And, you know, for these TikTok videos is what blows my mind in that she's sobbing in court saying he was her soulmate. But, man, you would think this was just a normal day and nothing odd had ever happened watching these TikTok videos. And, and uh, you know, I think that just goes to that lack of, of remorse that, that clearly we've seen up until it, it became really serious with a trial in front of the judge and her sentencing because you can't wiggle out of that. And, um, man, I mean, just three lives really gone. Really? I, I was... I. Correct me if I'm wrong, but I think I heard about another video that we didn't show there. But um, she was in a wheelchair because she was injured from the accident at a concert. So she, you know, rolled the wheelchair to a concert. And that clearly played into the prosecutor's hands when they said, is this the is this the vision of remorse? Uh, somebody who decides to go to this concert. There you go. There, there's right there at the concert. Anyway, I am a little cur- I don't know that there's a question here, Gigi. I just need to bounce this off you, that she survived. I think everybody else who's watching right now is like, the, you're burying the lead. She drove a car into a wall at 100 miles an hour and she's standing there and sitting there and she can speak and breathe and walk and she has no maimed, you know, scar. Like, you would never know what happened. And I'm just kind of flabbergasted by it. Yeah, and you know what's odd, Ashley, is we see this a lot in DUI accidents where they kill a family of four and the person driving the car comes away with maybe one scratch. I don't know what it is. Does she know what's coming and is able to brace her body better? I have no clue, but, I mean, this could have went another way where we have three deaths and we're wondering what happened. But, yeah, it, it, it is always bizarre when the people driving the car that have ill intentions or are drunk, you know, for that matter, end up unscathed when their passengers or in other innocent people on the roads are the ones that have their lives taken. It seems to me like this was, you know, what's sad too, Ashley, is just we're seeing these toxic relationships so young these days. I mean, young teenagers that are in abusive relationships. And it, it seems like uh, he had had some some video on his cell phone of her threatening him and throwing fits. So, Clearly, um, instead of walking away, unfortunately, she chose to take him out of this world and his innocent friend right along with him. And so I feel like it's a good sentence because if she had have had another weapon, which in this case, the weapon was the car. If she had had a firearm, we wouldn't even be questioning whether or not this is a just sentence for a 19 year old. We would say, of course, it is send her yeah. away. So that's kind of my thoughts on it is um, that car was a weapon and she chose to use it that night and she used it and two people are gone. And we've seen these possessive, abusive relationships before where it's if I can't have you, then nobody can. And off, you know, out you go and murder suicides. We, yeah. You're right. We cover these and these kids are, you know, doing very adult things and then facing very adult consequences. Gigi McKelvey, you have got to come on this show more often because I adored your coverage in northern Idaho and um, you just have to be a regular guest. I will do it. 
I'm so glad to hear that, Gigi McKelvey. Pretty Lies and Alibis. You need to subscribe to that podcast because not only is she incredibly informative, but that accent, I just love her to pieces. All right, coming up after the break, there are four words that investigators do not want to hear ever. Suspect still at large. Yeah, that gives me the willies too. Um, But in Maryland, the investigators on the case looking into Rachel Morin's murder, they're hearing that every day and it is not nice for them to hear it. So I don't get it because they've got a suspect on video, they've got his DNA, but they don't have him. Do what now? Coming up, tired FBI agent to weigh in. Why is it that with sparkling water, I'm always playing guessing games with what flavor I'm drinking? Is it citrus? Is it aluminum can flavored? Mm, not sure. Sparkling ice, though, they really mean flavor. Like in-your-face flavor. Orange mango, black raspberry. Don't even get me started on the strawberry lemonade. Kiwi strawberry slid right into my taste buds DMs last night and let them know who's boss. No subtleties there and no sugar either. But it does have vitamins and antioxidants. Find sparkling ice at a major grocery store or club retailer near you. Sparkling ice. Anything but subtle of his face and him leaving his haircut, the gait, his back, his shape, everything, right? But we do not have a suspect in this urgent coast-to-coast manhunt. Still don't have that guy, which is weird. Because I would think you get the DNA, uh, you find that guy, then you do genealogy to find out who he actually is. Not just the picture that matched the DNA he left in that, that, mer- that uh, assault scene, right? So as we are waiting for who did this to, to Rachel Moran, uh, the people of Maryland um, were honoring Rachel. I don't know if you saw this this weekend, but I do want to show you because on Saturday morning, hundreds of people packed the trail where, look at this, this is so nice. They, they all came out to honor Rachel. They did the, the, the walk. They, they walked the, the route that she, that she walked. They brought flowers. They brought those battery-operated candles to line the trail. And then Rachel's boyfriend, Richard Tobin, who, you know, people thought he was a suspect at first, right? Because was, he was like a new boyfriend. He posted this picture on his Facebook and he wrote this. Making you happy gave me joy every day. And I'm so glad I could give you that love. Such a kind, genuine woman, mom, sister, and daughter. And let's not forget, she's a mom of five kids. Five kids. I want to bring in Robin Dreek. He's a retired FBI special agent who ran the Bureau's counterintelligence behavioral analysis program. Robin, why? I mean, it's just kind of the simple question, but maybe there's so much more to it. (laughs) They have DNA. They found a link to DNA on an assault in LA that they still haven't caught the guy. He's out there somewhere. They got the video of him. Isn't that like you do genealogy real, real quick and you try to find out who he is? You'd hope so, but you know, we got to watch out for the CSI effect, and that is it doesn't go like that all the time. If you have no data in, there's going to be no data out. And I, I was just researching the stats on this, and yes, there's about a 60% average if you are a in the family tree databases that are uploaded, then accessed by law enforcement, and you are of, in the United States and of European descent. But if you're not in that database and family members aren't in that database, there's no data out. So this individual either has no footprint by design or by mistake. And so that's why there's no match. I'm actually shocked and at least hopeful that he was even in it for March. So it's frustrating just to be able to see that person um, 
and almost have them in your grasp. And, you know, when I say nationwide manhunt, I mean it because this happened in California. Rachel Marin was in Maryland. So it is coast to coast. And the fear is that he's going to strike again because you don't just do these things and only do them twice. Right. Shouldn't we just expect that that kill that person, that killer is going to be striking again? Yeah, if not in between March and now as well. That's why I'm really hopeful in this one, only because we do have some DNA. It goes back to March. The likelihood of victims between then and now, I think, is pretty high. And here's why I'm also hopeful. They assigned originally 10 investigators to this case. That means that hopefully there's a lot of work and leads that they're doing. Being able to identify this individual, they're now able to coordinate with L.A.'s investigation. We actually have an eyewitness that actually was part of this home invasion that probably give a lot more details than just that video does. And so I'm very hopeful that they have a lot of things to follow up on. The way they're leaking out information, not even leaking, they're not even giving much information from Maryland right now, gives me some... I know some confidence because they seem to be very controlled with what they're doing. Hopefully what they're doing is they're very much in control of thinking about finding the suspect, arresting the suspect and doing it so well that they can bring into prosecution and conviction as well. So you kind of got to balance those things out. You got the prosecution and conviction. So I get it when it's dribs and drabs of of information. Robin Drake, always love having you on. Thank you for this. See you soon. Thanks, Ashley. You betcha. Okay, good to know. All right. And here's Heather with the weather. Well, it's beautiful out there, sunny and 75, almost a little chilly in the shade. Now, let's get a read on the inside of your car. It is hot. You've only been parked a short time, and it's already 99 degrees in there. Let's not leave children in the back seat while running errands. It only takes a few minutes for their body temperatures to rise, and that could be fatal. Cars get hot fast and can be deadly. Never leave a child in a car. A message from NHTSA and the Ad Council. When you're diagnosed with Crohn's disease or ulcerative colitis, you just want to feel better. Steroids help get my symptoms under control, but they come with problems and long-term risks. I need to look out for my future health. The Crohn's and Colitis Foundation changed everything. They encouraged me to take action and even helped me find a specialist. We now have a plan that works for today and tomorrow. Don't put off finding an answer. Spill your guts. Learn more at spillyourguts.org. I'm a wife and the mother of two kids. And when I get to work in the precinct house and put on my uniform, I can tell you as a police officer, we're building partnerships. This should be happening everywhere. So the police should be reaching out to this community. And this community should reach out to the police. That's the way to make this a safer place. Start the conversation and help stop crime. To learn the five things you can do, go to ncpc.org slash preventviolentcrime. A message from the National Crime Prevention Council and the Bureau of Justice Assistance. When it comes to a gun suicide attempt, all it takes is a moment. My son, Ricky, took his life by the use of a firearm. It broke me, and I contemplated suicide. My grandson, I was going to have to be here for him. I still own my firearm. I keep it in a safe because I want to keep my grandson and myself safe. Store your guns, locked, unloaded, and away from ammo. Hear more safe stories at endfamilyfire.org. Brought to you by Brady and the Ad Council. Roxanne Watson is on a mission to have more people sign up as organ, eye, and tissue donors. What drives her? Roxanne received a heart transplant made possible by an organ donor. I decided that day to devote myself to signing up the most people in the United States. (laughs) That's my goal. Now she's a powerful force for good. What could you make possible as an organ, eye, and tissue donor? 
leave behind the gift of life. Go to organdonor.gov, U.S. Department of Health and Human Services, Health Resources and Services Administration. All right, son, time to put out this campfire. Dad, we learned about this in school. Oh, did you now? Okay, what's first? Smokey Bear said to. First drown it with a bucket of water, then stir it with a shovel. Wow, you sound just like him. Then he said. If it's still warm, then do it again. Where can I learn all this? It's all on SmokeyBear.com with other wildfire prevention tips. Because only you can prevent wildfires. Brought to you by the USDA Forest Service, your state forester, and the Ad Council. Thanks for listening to News Nation on the Go. I'm Dan Abrams, and this is America's source for engaging and unbiased news. My mom has taken up going to the park to practice yoga. My dad's going to a club, but not a book club, a salsa club. Finding new hobbies comes with age. My mom has started getting lost and not knowing where she's going. Becoming lost or disoriented doesn't. Confusion with time or place may be a sign of Alzheimer's. An early diagnosis can help improve the quality of life for your loved one. Learn the warning signs of Alzheimer's at 10signs.org. Brought to you by the Alzheimer's Association and the Ad Council. Hello, I'm Jay Winnick. On 9-11, I lost my brave brother, Glenn, in the collapse of the World Trade Center. Glenn was a volunteer firefighter who died in the line of duty. Glenn's bravery inspired me to help start the nonprofit that's turned September 11th into a national day of service. For 9-11 this year, please join me by doing what Glenn would have done, taking time to help others. Please visit 911day.org to learn more. The Supplemental Security Income Program provides monthly payments to help meet basic needs, like putting food on the table, paying the rent, or buying new shoes for growing feet. You may qualify if your income and financial resources are low and you are 65 or older, or an adult or child with a disability or who is blind. Call 1-800-772-1213 or go to ssa.gov SSI to start to apply. Produced by Social Security at U.S. taxpayer expense. If your vehicle is out of warranty, call us now to get protected before it breaks down. Call 1-800-374-4456. 1-800-374-4456. That Utah mom who wrote a children's book about grief when her husband died, but then was charged with killing him with fentanyl, um, she's just found out that they're not going to seek the death penalty against her because her husband's dad said it, it's just too much. The, the prosecutor.